Welcome to Permaculture Freedom Podcast. My name is Cody and I'm your host. This is a show about cultivating freedom in our lives so we can be our best self. Freedom to live a beautiful, regenerative lifestyle that inspires our families, our friends, and our community. To transform our lives and reconnect to nature within. It's a revival of our roots. Roots that run deep into the earth. We were born for this time. We were born for this time. Thanks for joining me on this beautiful journey. Thanks for showing up. Hi, my name is John Lenz and we're here at Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company. We're in greenhouse number four. We call it the seed starting greenhouse. Today I'm going to show you some stuff about how we start some of the 27,000 different plants that we grow every year here. The essential elements for starting seeds indoors early for your garden are, are pretty simple. Uh, you need a good soil mix, you need the correct heat, a little bit of light, and proper moisture. Any seed will germinate if you give it the necessary stuff. And it depends on the seed is what you're going to, the important question. We start with the soil. We use a pro mix, it's peat and perlite, has good drainage, good aeration, nice light and fluffy. Easy root growth in it, easy penetration for the cotyledons. Heat is something that's important. Uh, your pepper seeds like to ger germinate at 80 degrees, your lettuce and cool seasons like to germinate 70. We keep our heat mats in here about 75 degrees all the time. If you don't have heat mats, Sunny windowsill uh, on top of the refrigerator, believe it or not, is a very warm spot in your house. This should help with speeding up germination. Light is important, sunny windowsill again. It's not necessary for germination, but once you get emergence of your seedlings, you're going to want to shoot a little light at them so that they can develop. Moisture is important for this. Uh, you need to keep it damp, but not soggy. Uh, a good draining media will help ensure this. When we're preparing our soil for seeding, we'll take uh, our pro mix and we'll add some gypsum to it because the pro mix is pretty much nutrient deficient. And we'll also put a big healthy squirt of Dawn dishwashing liquid in. This acts as a surfactant and helps manage the moisture. It'll wet up a dry spot and it'll dry out a wet spot. Makes the soil nice and even. Heat mats. The heat mats we have here are commercial grade. There's like 16 of them on this bench behind me. Uh, we keep them set at 75 degrees unless we're doing a pepper crop and then we'll jack it up to about 80. We have overhead lights in here. They're 2000 watt LEDs. These aren't necessary for germination and emergence but once your plants come out of the ground you're going to want to make sure they get adequate light or else they'll get leggy and stringy and not be uh, transplant quality. We grow 27,000 plants to transplant so we need ours four inches tall with a good root zone development. Moisture is important you want to keep the seed damp not standing in water not soggy not soaking wet just good and damp. So we come by and water about every other day, depending on how the surface looks. 
We're going to see about seeding some now, and we'll show you how we go about this. I have some lettuce here. I think we'll probably use it. The key to seeding, proper seeding with different seeds is you want to use the size of the seed as an indicator for how deep to plant it. Squash seeds, big as your fingernail, need to go half an inch deep. Lettuce seed and poppy seed that looks like dust, we surface sow, and then when you water it, it'll force it down. If you get it planted too deep, the seed won't have the energy necessary to emerge. If you plant it too shallow, then the bigger seeds are just going to be growing on the surface. Okay, I filled up my tray and my six packs. I got 36 cells here. Got a package of trumpeter lettuce. I'm going to show this to you. We'll get her opened up here. This lettuce seed is quite small, as you can see, so we're just going to surface sow this. So we're going to try to put one or two or three seeds per cell just to ensure that when we're done we end up with 36 plants. We can thin them later. Got to keep in mind, in my opinion, seeds cheap. So I'd rather have too many plants in a cell than empties. So we're dropping a couple, three seeds in each cell, kind of scattering them out. Once we get them done, we'll take them over to the bench and give them a drink. And the water, as we water them, we'll force the seed down into the soil. Got to have good seed soil contact. The seed imbibes the water that's in the soil around it. And this causes the em embryo to emerge. First thing out will be a little tiny root called the radical. Next thing out will be the cotyledons, the seed leaves. We brought our tray over here to our watering station and we're just going to water it down gently. This uh, initial watering, you should get water coming out of the bottom of the tray. Then you know you've got the whole thing nice and wet. Shouldn't have to water it. This lettuce germinates pretty fast. Shouldn't have to water it more than twice more. Don't drown them. I want to show you some of the results we've achieved here at Baker Creek. This cauliflower is six days old. You can see it's just come off the heat mat. It's got multiple emergence, multiple plants in each cell. So we'll thin this down in about a week. Uh, we have a Tom Thumb lettuce here. This is now, let's see, seeded on the fourth. 13 days old. It's been thinned and we're getting a pretty decent growth out of it. It'll have a root system that we can count on here in another week. Anyway, seed starting at home is not that difficult. Follow the basic rules. Takes moisture, heat, good soil mix. Grow them like you love them. This is John Lanzum here at Baker Creek, and this is how we do it.
seeds are precious and it's coming up sowing time now this is actually January and I'm always saying please don't sow anything in January I don't sow anything in January uh, unless you don't want to eat anything that's the old saying so in January you wouldn't have to eat anything it's, it's generally not not a good month because it, it, there's not so much light there's, there's not much warmth but more than anything it's about thinking ahead to what conditions will be like once you've got some little plants to plant out because that's what we're doing in here and this is about raising plants to transplant outside mainly or undercover like behind me are salads that we've been growing in here all winter and picking from already three or four times and we keep picking leaves off the same plants so that's undercover growing but I'm talking mainly in this video about sowing seeds to go in the garden and therefore you don't want to sow them too early because it won't be warm enough or light enough even outside until say early spring so uh, what I want to do though is set you up with the knowledge that will help you to be more successful in sowing and there's many factors to consider like where should we start <laughs> um, what you're going to sow the seeds in the actual tray or container you know, there's a selection here I've got seed trays module trays so this seed tray why is it called a seed tray it's used for sowing lots of little seeds often one feature of these trays is they don't have very good drainage. Uh, here's another one, old dirty one. Um, I'm very happy, by the way, to use old trays. They work really well. Uh, you don't have to wash or sterilise them in between use. So that'll save you one job. Uh, but you do always want some drainage. So it, at least the few holes there is better than one like this. So this would be a tray you'd never want to use for sowing seeds because you'll water and then the water will just sit in the bottom. It can't escape and your seeds will rot. Drainage is really important for successful growth, uh, germination and growth of seeds. And I found I actually get better results from sowing in a module tray than in a seed tray, because do you see the holes there? Quite substantial in size. So there's more chance for the water to drain away. Uh, there's going to be more air in the mix. Air is as important as moisture. There are bigger module trays as well, and I'm going to explain in different situations or for what seeds you would use larger trays or trays with larger cells, trays with smaller cells but more cells per tray, or seed trays. So those are some options. Then we have consideration. Actually, no, there's just, <laughs> I should mention these. Um, two more things here, homemade. So rather than buying a module tray, you can make your own using... Uh, egg carton, that's what this is, it's um, some I sewed pieces in just to see. This is just for trial, you know, I wasn't <laughs> aiming to get these plants in the ground. Well, I could do in here, I still early for outside growing. But you can see that's worked nicely and I'll explain also a little bit about multi-sewing. So this I put two seeds, home sow pieces in each carton cell there. And here I made some little, little, <laughs> little pots out of rolled newspaper, which was not ideal it's not, not well it's not an easy thing to manage because of how you fill them uh, to get it in there without getting compost all around which actually doesn't matter but then you get to a point where you want to get them out we'll do that in a minute and have a look but uh, yeah it's not as easy as actually having a module tray where you can pop it up from below that's the idea of the module cell and then you can see the little roots at the bottom which is fine um, they could sit in there for quite a while yet or they could be planted at that stage you've got many options what this is about is getting seeds going 
in the best conditions so that the seed germinates and succeeds with its germination. That's more difficult often than actually growing on a seedling. Seeds need more warmth for germination than they do for actually growing as little plants. So that's where often can be a problem, especially in the spring, we're sowing seeds direct in the soil. The soil is still very cold, uh, whereas often you can put a chance plant in the soil at the same temperature and that will grow. And if you sow direct, you might lose your seeds. This is the, the issue. So with, with doing it like this, you can have close to 100% success from what you sow as long as the seed was good in the first place. And this is a bit, actually something that's harder to, to deduce because how do you know the seed that you've bought is a good fresh seed? Does it tell you anywhere? And on the packet, it actually will say packeted year ending. At least in the UK, that's what the law says it has to say. It tells you when it went in the packet, basically. It doesn't actually tell you how old the seed is. There's a minimum germination rate, but the germination rate is often measured in a laboratory with perfect conditions, which we can really achieve, rarely achieve, in a, um, even in a greenhouse. So we could just have to do our best. But generally giving warmth is a big factor. And these, until just now, have been in the house on the windowsill of my conservatory, which is not super hot, but it, when the sun comes out, it gets warm. Overnight it's maybe 12, 14 degrees, 50s Fahrenheit. Whereas in here, greenhouse, oh, should be warm, eh? It's okay at the moment. At the moment, the temperature in here is about, is about 12, actually. Last night, it went down to below minus 2 centigrade in here. We had a frost. So even um, in enclosed structures, it can be cold at night. And this is one issue with seed germination. Cold nights stop the germination because the seed is taking in that fact. <laughs> so, whoa, this is too cold. I'm not going to germinate now. It needs constant day-night temperatures to be at a reasonable level. Now that these peas are germinated, because I've managed to keep them warm at night, there was about 10 days ago I sowed these, they can stay in here. The, and these could freeze at night. That will be fine. I'm not saying I want them to, but it won't kill them. So that's the difference. It would have stopped them germinating, but it won't stop them growing. It'll slow down their growth. Pretty much all the seeds I'm going to show you are seed I've saved myself. And that links back to what I was saying about seed age. When you save it yourself, you know how old it is. And not all of it's fresh, actually. Like these peas, as it happened, that, that was three years old, 2018. God, you know, actually, now it's four years old. I saved these seeds. It was a good year, <laughs> 2018. And the quality of the seed was good. And, and I'm just keeping them in a spare room in the house, getting a nice result. But normally, I found it worthwhile to sow young seed because then you know... For all the time and effort you're putting into getting your tray together, filling it with compost, looking after it, watering, blah, 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 you're pretty confident you're going to get a result. And fresh seed will give a nice result. And that's like what we've got here. Slightly leggy seedlings. Again, that's the effect of the windowsill. These were sown at the same time. So that's lettuce, that's peas. The lettuce is home safe seed from two years ago, actually. But I would say pretty much every single seed's come up. I find that generally with home safe seed, the germination rate is very good. And this was using the, the other end of the egg carton. So the, the partition bit had the peas and the open top lid. I just filled it with compost and scattered lettuce seeds on top with not much on top of them. Using Don't cover your seeds too much. That's a key thing I want to emphasize here is, is don't bury them too deep. And this leads me on to type of compost to use because in the compost that I sowed these in you can see quite a bit of this white flaky stuff 
and that is called vermiculite, which is an expanded rock. And it's very light and free draining. And that's coming back to drainage. It's what particularly seeds, germinating seeds, and their little tiny roots really benefit from is having some air, plenty of air around those little roots. It doesn't want to be completely moist. Too much moisture is often what kills seedlings much more than too little. So be careful about watering, don't overwater. Like in fact, this is a good example because this tray, I have not watered since I sowed those seeds. <coughs> so what I did when sowing, get it really moist. You know it's 100% as full of water as it can be. Not totally dripping, dripping because of thanks to the vermiculite, but moist. Then I scatter seeds on top, a little bit of vermiculite on top and it's been in the conservatory with a little bit of glass over the top for the first week. And that kept the moisture in, and then the seedlings came up. And like I say, no water in the 10 days since it was sown. Compost-wise, there are so many options. <laughs> Sometimes I despair. Uh, they change every year, and you can have sacks of potting or seed compost, as it's called, which have the same label year on year, but change the contents. So you don't always know what you're buying. In fact, you often don't know what you're buying, and it's very confusing. I can show you two physical examples here and how they can vary in terms of structure and content. This is one that's made from a material called digestate. And I'm not recommending this, but I'm just pointing it out to you. Because I've noticed that digestate is getting very common now, and that's purely because of People are very subsidised um, producers to, to make the methane ferment it. This is plant material like maize and grass stems. Make the methane and then they've got the dry matter, the solids, what do they do with them? They've worked out they can sell them as compost. They're not rich ingredients and what they do have is good structure, a lot of fibre in this. That's fine. <laughs> but Compared to more traditional compost, which um, have more nutrients, in fact, I can show you exactly the result of what's happened with that one. It's one that I was sent to try. And so five weeks ago, we sowed broad beans. And this, this end is the digestate. Compared to broad beans sown in the compost I normally use, which is from Yorkshire. Uh, it's called Moreland Gold. I'm not necessarily recommending that one either, actually, just because it's a small company, so don't, go, don't everybody rush out and try and buy it. Um, but, there, you know, there are other good composts around, um, like Dalefoot, say. But I'm just, what I really want to show you here is just that difference. And if the only compost you'd used for your sowings was this one, it would have been a disappointment, to say the least. You know, that can really compromise. You, you'll have spent a lot of money on seed. I'm not saying these won't grow, but quite a few of them are not going to grow to their full potential. One like that, just about make it, I reckon. One like this, I don't know. <laughs> so do the best you can is all I can say. Um, there is one more option for those of you who are pretty organised in other ways. Here, this compost is some that, from my own heaps. You can use your own compost if you make it nicely enough and if you can sieve it so we put this through four millimeters sieve you can see it's pretty fine and it also sieved well because it's quite dry because i've got a roof over my compost base so there's all these different facts to consider it's not just so simple as going out and getting a bit of garden compost to use uh, you need to think ahead a bit and do a bit of work on it 
And partly because we're talking about putting compost into quite small compartments, the cells of a module tray. So it, it can't be big lumpy stuff. It's, it needs to be reasonably fine. Fine but fibrous. You know, that's the bit where the digestate is doing well. It's fibrous. <laughs> so what I've done actually with recent sowing is I've mixed the two, uh, the moorland gold, which is quite black and quite a bit of green moist compost, and the fibres of the digest digestate. And at the moment, I'm, I'm just to see. I, I, I'm always trying different mixes, combinations, and that's what I'll be using when I fill trays. So we're looking to raise a nice, strong transplant. But to get to that stage, this is often... Rather than sowing in a module tray, one often starts with a seed tray. Why? <laughs> Why not sow direct into modules? Well, because some seeds are so small that you actually can hardly hold them, hardly see them, let alone hold them. And so it's physically not possible to, to sow a certain number of seeds in, in module cells. And also there are some seeds and seedlings that really like uh, this kind of compost that's not rich. Generally speaking, I'm using the same compost for all my sowings. And the only difference I'm making is adding a bit of vermiculite, particularly when I'm sowing into seed trays where the drainage is not so good. Or there's two vegetables, I'll mention three actually, um, Particularly basil. I find that basil really doesn't like having wet roots, so I'll always add more vermiculite when I'm sowing basil. And lettuce to some extent as well. The seeds and seedlings of lettuce like it light and not, not too dense and watery. So what I want to do at this stage is get this tray with its compost fully saturated, and then I can sow seeds on it, mostly on it, because <laughs> you don't want them to be too deep at this stage. And if I show you some examples, uh, generally speaking, I try not to water too much before I'm handling seeds because I don't want to get the seeds wet. That's why I'm slightly hesitating here. Uh, but just for the purposes of the video, I'm doing it all a bit together. But these are, these are some old seeds, actually. That's why I'm slightly sacrificing them here because this is celeriac and it's not the time of year to sow celeriac. Best time of year to sow it is middle of March. Sowing for celery, first sowings. Uh, you can find all these dates in my calendar. We also produce a timeline that you can hang on a wall chart or you can find the dates on my website in the, on the page there. That is celery seeds and I'm pretty sure you can hardly see them and it would be very difficult to actually pick them up individually. So what I do with tiny seeds like this, you can hardly see. Perhaps many in there, just a few. I'm just gonna sprinkle them over the top of the compost there. And tiny as they are, there could well be 30 or 40 fell down there. And that's absolutely fine because they can then germinate and then they can be pricked out. And pricking out is where you need a little tool. I've got a, I think that might be a special pricking out, a bit of plastic. You could use a pencil. I used a pencil for many years. And then you're gonna lever out the little seedlings like that, hold it by the leaf with a bit of root on. I'll just pretend I'm doing it there. You're gonna make a hole in a, a module cell and push it in. So if I talk about pricking out, that's what I mean. It just means moving a seedling 
from a C trace to a module cell. So it's got its own little area or volume of compost to go in. But this is a very good way to start seeds out, certain seeds, uh, lettuce seeds as well. Um, actually, what I do is after sowing them in a tray like that, and I'm not going to cover them, but I'll do that. And that, the water on them helps them to settle in, make sure there's contact with the moist compost. And then I need a bit of glass, which is here somewhere and I can't see it anymore. It's disappeared. So basically I'd put a bit of glass on top. Or you could just lay a bit of polythene bag on top or anything, just to hold the moisture in. And this then I would put in the house to germinate. I do that a lot in the late winter, early spring sowings. They, for the first week, they're indoors, literally indoors, because of the nighttime temperatures being so much higher. So then we have the next step, which is, say, a module tray, filling a module tray. So this one I like. It's, it's actually one that I designed myself. And that's why I like it, because it was basically it's to, to over 38 years of propagating. I'd never really found a tray that quite fitted all the specs I wanted. And from what I found works really well. It's really solid polypropylene. I'm afraid it is plastic, but it's a once in a lifetime plastic. This, this is going to last forever. You know, you can walk on these. <laughs> They're really solid. And then uh, it's got a decent sized hole at the bottom. So there's good drainage. And that means also you can pop the modules out. And it's not too big. It's got a tapering bottom. I prefer the shape of it to that one. You see how much smaller volume that is compared to that. And actually for a lot of seedlings, you get a better result for giving them less compost. Don't assume that putting a seed or seedling in a big pot is going to automatically make a big plant because it's got a lot of growing to do before it's able to use that expanse of compost. And often that gets too wet at that stage. It's so easy to overwater always in enclosed space containers. So with this one, there's very unlikely you're going to saturate those roots with water. And it means you need less compost. One of these trays, the amount of compost is two litres to fill a tray like that. That's less than half a gallon. And I did this one yesterday, and I also made little holes in it. Still dry. You can see it's quite dry on top. I haven't watered it yet. <clears throat> and that's holes for sewing. So that's ready to go, ready to sew. Um, this one I'll just mention. Why have I got this here? It's for larger seeds. This, this one serves for most vegetables. This one I'd use for large seeds like... I think I've got a few here somewhere. I don't know if I'm going to find them. Um, Kidney beans, for example. These are some home-saved. You know, they're so big that they... Well, you probably could do it in there, but you'd be struggling a bit. And broad beans or fiber beans. Whereas these ones, the slightly smaller trays, they can work for peas and sweet corn and French beans, middle-sized seeds, as well as smaller seeds, like here, for example. These are some home-saved onion seed, which I'm pretty happy with. With home-saved seed, you, you often get a few imperfections, little bits of debris. It doesn't matter, actually. I'm not selling them. <laughs> as long as there's not so many that, that they're going to get in the way of the sowing. And that, here I'm going to do something called multi-sowing, which is dropping up to six onion seeds. I Generally speaking, I don't have time to count them out individually, but I'm... I'm 
putting in a pinch which, from my experience, approximates to six. So uh, that's that. Then what do you do with seeds that are left over in your hand? If you haven't got many, well, put them back in the seed packet, but it's not ideal because they've picked up a bit of moisture there already. Do you know, I'm actually going to throw these out. I wouldn't normally be quite as careless as that, but it's to make that point and keeping them dry really helps. That's probably the factor in conserving your seeds that's more important than anything. What's next? We have some coriander here. This is home-saved coriander as well. This is a great example for multi-sowing. They're seeds which are easily large enough to handle. And I'm going to pop three. Why multi-sow? It takes up less space. You need less compost for the same number of plants. You're raising more automatically in a given space. And you, you get the advantage of proximity. <laughs> Double done there. So the seedlings, they're germinating with their mates and they're going to go in the ground with their mates. It's a kind of companion planting, if you like. And all I can say is from experience, it works really well. Okay, peas is something different, very visible. Now, because these are bigger, how many would I sow? Uh, I would often put two, even in these small cells. So you just literally put them on top with companion planting. You can, uh, put, you could put them separately or they might end up together in the middle. You know, in terms of actually, oh, they can come back. <laughs> uh, where they actually end up. It's entirely up to you, uh, but it doesn't, it's not going to affect how they grow. Because I know I've been asked this uh, sometimes, you know, do they have to be spaced out when you're companion planting? You just bung them in, basically. Broad beans, yeah, okay, let's have a go. In, in the very small cells here. Uh, it's also a point about sowing large seeds. I'm often asked, do they need to be pointy and down? That's actually the end where the root's gonna come out. It doesn't matter that they have to be that way. It works very well with all these like flat seeds to put them in flat. That's quicker and easier. You don't have to worry about where the root's going to come out. Okay, what we got here? Oh, now this is something I'm not going to sow actually because it's so out of season. Just to make that point as well, French beans. These are home-sowed French bean seeds. I don't sow them until the middle of April. Uh, sorry, even late April. Late April for the very first plantings. Here we can have a frost until the middle of May. Those are really warmth-loving plants, French beans. So just don't sow them too early, nor runner beans. Tomatoes, I've got some tomatoes here. Yeah, red brandy wine. So I would say tomatoes are a good example of where you could either sow them, yeah, decent sized tomato seeds like that. And it could be one or two, but then I would thin to one. Or <laughs> uh, you could sow them in a seed tray and then prick them out. They handle nicely. I mean, you could prick anything out. The, the only seeds that you wouldn't want to prick out and are difficult to raise as transplants is carrot and parsnip because of their long tap roots and they'll tend to break when you transplant them. Everything else you're seeing here is totally transplantable. And the extra, and I don't think this is a lot of extra, but the extra work involved in raising the transplants, you easily get back in terms of the quality of what you've got out there. 
you get a full bed, it's all nice and even, and maximum use of space, and maximum growth of seeds. These are homestead lettuce, which I'm not, not going to sow there. Um, well, you could actually. If, if, if I wanted to sow lettuce here, I'd do uh, two, two ideally, often three land. They're, they're a hard one to count out, especially homestead with the bits of debris in there. Um, generally speaking, I personally, anyway, I want to grow one lettuce in a station, in a, in a space. And so would thin those out. This is another thing you can do. You can sow more seeds than you actually want and then thin to the strongest. You could do that with chard as well, for example, if you want one chard seed. Uh, spinach, actually, we could do next because that's a bit similar. You know, with spinach, th this is a spinach plant which actually has two plants there. And this, in an ideal world, especially for the spinach, <laughs> this would have been in the ground last October. Uh, this has been sitting here all winter, actually. It's testament to the quality of this compost. The plants are still quite green. They haven't been fed or anything. Uh, we, you know, you can still plant these. And as two plants, that will make a nice clump where you can pick quite a few medium-sized leaves. Or if you took that one out and you just planted it as one, then you'll have bigger plant making bigger leaves. It would be difficult to divide them at this point, <laughs> but you could try. But for... I often grow spinach in twos because I don't want enormous leaves, um, but lots of medium leaves is nice. So it, part of the thing with the multi-sowing is about being clear what you want from your plants. It's not like saying this is the rule that you have to follow. And you can try a few things. And here's a good example of spinach, actually, why it's a little bit interesting, where you, you get these clumps. Uh, it, this is home safe seed, and we, we see it developing on the stalks of the plant. It's not like a classic seed. <coughs> uh, it's a sort of little clumplet, and it makes it a bit hard to sow with precision if you want a certain number, because you're often putting in a clump. And I'm aiming for three seeds in a cell, which in turn is aiming for two plants. I'm going to thin out, pull out the weakest one. So that's how they would run. And I've nearly got to the end now. So let's see what else I've got here. I've brought out mention of radish. <laughs> radish is such a good seed to sow at this time of year. And this is going to be my last sowing of this video. And it's a nice one to finish on because it's the first one that you want to do. And I recommend from the middle of February. And when you grow radish at this time of year, it's much less pungent. It's mild and juicy. And this variety, Rudy, R-U-D-I, you can allow to grow quite big and it doesn't get uh, woody or hollow. Uh, so it's very versatile vegetable to have. And it'll sit there and with multi-sowing like this, I'm putting in five or six seeds, aiming for four plants in a clump. So you get them all growing together. And then as soon as you've got one that's the size you like, you can twist it out gently and the rest of them carry on growing. So from one sowing, especially early in the year like this, you can get quite a few harvests. And there we are. So just in terms of covering up these seeds, the, the old saying is to cover the seed with as much compost as the seed is thick. And so with a broad bean, that would be quite a lot. This is one disadvantage of doing lots of different seeds all together, like I've done there, which you, this can work. Uh, it's easier generally, and because also you'll be planting all out at the same time, to have your same seeds together. And we 
for that reason, partly we've brought out smaller versions of this tray. So this is a 60, and it's going to be available in a 30 and a 15. In the UK, that will be available through from February, and in the US from March. We have a distributor in the US now. The link is in the description. We have a distributor in Europe as well uh, for these trays. So I'll just finish with covering the compost to show you. So I actually take some new compost at this point and just sprinkle it over the top. More or less how I'm judging uh, according to the size of the seed and where it was lettuce, I'm not actually going to put any new compost on. It's going to flick the existing compost over it. With broad beans, I'll ladle on as much as I possibly can. <laughs> I wouldn't normally sow them in this, but it's just to give you ideas, you know, how, how it works, what the principles are of sowing seeds. That's what this has been about, so that you understand how you can get the best from your precious seeds and how to look after the seedlings a bit, but it's more about sowing them in the right conditions at the right time, in decent material compost and in a suitable tray. And on that note, I'll finish and hand it to you. Enjoy your sowing season, which goes on right the way through until September, October. Today's video is about the curious tale of the peacock and the guinea fowl. Actually, no, it's not. It's about our low-cost, energy-efficient way to do all our starts in Sweden up here at 59 degrees north. Well, this time last year, we were seeding in the greenhouse already. Matt was here, and there was no snow on the ground anywhere. It was really beautiful sunny days, and we were seeding the first beds outside. Nowhere like that this year. It is going above zero in the daytime now, but it's still very cold at night. So I'll just show you the few little changes I've been making in our seeding space. In a couple of months, the gardens are going to look like this. And all of this beautiful veg is started in this tiny space that's less than 24 square meters built super cheap and heated in a really energy efficient way, I think. So this fire is on for pretty much six months without ever going off. And so we just have a little fan up here that blows excess heat out into here. And I've been doing some of the moving around that I was talking about in the last video. And so I'm just gonna show you that. One thing we're missing is a door handle from the inside. That's no good, is it, Ragnar? So what I've done, I'm going to put you down, little man. Okay, I'm just going to make a little update of what's going on. I put in a bench here. I put in a permanent bench, actually, because that's what I felt like I wanted to do. I might put some shelving up on the wall of the house here, uh, but it might be later on, long term, we have this plan to put in a hot water system uh, from the back of the stove to heat the entire house equally. It's just that little stove that heats the entire house for six months of winter. And that's a longer term plan, but it's not a big priority because we have a decent enough system as it is. Um, so it might be that this space becomes a bit of a walkway from the house out to the outside, as well as being a bench. We don't know yet. I've set this up so we've got uh, vermiculite here. I like to use quite a 
fine vermiculite and I will cover the trays quite liberally. I will seed by using, these are our standard uh, 64s. These are from Olsen's for anyone in Sweden. They're really good quality. So pretty much everything we seed is in these 64s. We also seed in these 144s, but that's pretty much only for spinach and lettuce and things like that. Maybe beets. We'll transplant all of those in the start of the season to get a quick start. But pretty much everything we do goes in these 64s. And we'll use this dibber. We'll use this dibber. This is a dibber that makes holes in the compost. And then we just drop seeds in. Now I've tested vacuum seeders. I've considered the paper pot transplanters I've talked about in other videos. And to be honest, I'm happy just doing it by hand. Anything down to cabbage and kale size, I can do so quickly by hand. Singulating the seed pretty well. Here's some kohlrabi. And there's a double seed there and a double seed there. But everything else is singled out, even things like lettuce. It's very quick, you know, when you're used to doing it all the time, you can whiz through those. So I, I like this old-fashioned way. They sell these uh, nice dibbers. This is for getting the plugs out of the trays when you come to transplant. And one for the 144. And I use that one as the dibber. Because these are quite expensive. They know you're only going to buy it once, so they charge you a fortune for this. We've lost a couple of the fingers, so they're sending some more. I've just ordered a whole bunch more of these trays because we're seeding a lot more uh, this year because of Rico. So I've got a much bigger space here, like I talked about. And I've done the same at the other end. If I go up here, you can see we've done the same up here now. So we have a bit of working space. So I can put some tables there and put microgreens if I want to there. And under this bench, I made a new bench quickly so that we can use sunlight here. Because the way we use this space is we do a lot of micros in the summer. Obviously, most of our seeding is happening now. And that's why we wanted this small space. This entire space is 3.5 by 6.7 meters, so less than 24 square meters. And that's nice in such a cold climate up here so that we can keep it warm efficiently. We do have this little heater. But we only use that at night times. So right now, we're at half past three in the afternoon. And we're sitting at 24. And I've got the door open there. It's a sunny day. But it's cold outside. It's hovering around zero right now. So we have a nice simple setup. As I said, everything's going in 64s or 144s. Except for micros go in the long trays. And leeks and onions go in these 60 by 40 trays. Now we've done that because everything tessellates. All of these hard trays are 40 by 40 centimeters, and these are 60 by 40. So they sit on these racks really nicely, and we built all this with free wood. So, so to build this lean-to greenhouse cost us 1,500 euros. Second-hand bulletproof windows we got for free from Stockholm Police Station. All the timber was free from the scrap timber yard. If you look back at our videos from last year, very early, about a year ago, you'll see one of our visits to the timber yard. All this kind of timber is free. We don't, use, we don't buy much timber for developing things. So we wanted to make super simple uh, structures that we could then tessellate all the different trays we use in so that we could stack the space up here. Then we've used simple T, uh, T8s. And people ask us why we use the. Oh, sorry, these are T5s, not T8s. T8s are the big ones. 
Uh, people ask us, why don't we use LEDs? Well, at the time we made these, I mean, LEDs, to get the equivalent amount of light that we've got on all these levels here, it would have cost a fortune in the initial outlay. And so these were cheap and readily available. I just had to sort of wire them up myself, and it was the cheapest way to go about it. Also, they produce a little bit of heat, which is nice for us because it can be quite cold in here. Like if it's really cold, like minus 25 outside, it can be hard to keep the temperature. And if you have these down, right down on the trays, then they will kick out enough heat to keep things going well. Now, the, I've just been testing the lights today because things haven't been germinating so much, but here you see some of the cold rabbies. And... So the lights are about how I'd like them on top of these. I keep them a couple of inches off the plants, and they go up on a simple chain. They've got a hook on the end, and I just raise them up as we go. Uh, but this is neat. Underneath here, we've got halide lights. They got, we got those for free from the spirulina farm we were helping take apart that you can see in the video from last year. Someone said, why don't you... Uh, do the starts in the, in the polytunnel with the chickens. Well, to be honest, it would be a nightmare. A, it's hard to get water there, and you need to be able to use water. Here, because we've dug this greenhouse down below ground, we can use water all year round without it freezing, and because we've got a gravel floor, we can water liberally, and it's, it's really no issue. Um, but the greenhouse is changing temperature too much. It's minus 15 at night, and then suddenly up to 20 in the daytime, it's just not ideal. And it's, you know, chickens produce a lot of dust as well. Uh, I don't think that would be so much of an issue, but it's just not the right space. Like for your germination room, you want to be able to keep the conditions really nice and reliable. First tomatoes are popping up now. Uh, and we keep it like about 17, 18 degrees in here and, and keep it consistent through the night. It might drop a few degrees at night time, but not by much, uh, thanks to the heater there and through kicking the heat out here. So we wanted to, you know, the whole intention was like, what's the smallest space we can make that's big enough to meet our needs? And this little rearrangement's happened because we've scaled up, but not scaled up in size, we've scaled up our growing season by getting some caterpillar tunnels and also changing our sales model. So we're selling on Rico, not just in the veg boxes. So we can sell earlier than, than the veg boxes start. And so we've got more crops going on right now. And if you've missed other videos, we do have our cabin that we've been doing micros in over the winter, so we can take half the stuff in here and put it out there uh, when we need to. Someone said on the last video, why don't you stack the trays up till they've germinated? Well, if you look at the seeding calendar we have, nothing's leaving here for over a month, and so this is, you know, there's a whole bunch more seeds to come. So in reality, that wouldn't really save us anything at all. Oh, you banged your head? Yeah. yeah? What are you doing under there? Are you seeding some trays? Yeah. Yeah? Come, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't really save anything in reality because, you know, they would only sit in the stack till they're germinated and then they would go out on trays. But there's always trays coming. So for the first month, it's just adding trays and adding trays. It wouldn't make any difference if you see what I mean. Um, but I think we're going to be fine. Just the little shuffle around now makes it more organized. And we've opened up a whole bunch more space. And, yeah, I'm really happy with it so far. I've just been testing some of the lights. They get adjusted and just check all the bulbs are working. Um, some things are waiting to germinate. It's mainly the 
uh, brassicas and the alliums that are coming out now. But we're going to work as much as we can with sunlight and just minimize the electrics there. But I just wanted to show you how I've moved it around. I'm not doing any seeding today. Otherwise, I would show you the process of using these. But I think you get the idea. And I like to use this quite liberally. And what I will do is poke the holes for the seeds with the dibbers there. And once the seeds are in, I don't ever put potting soil back on pretty much for, no, not for any crop. I'm always use, using vermiculite, so I'll fill the holes up with that. And you can see on the leeks and onions, I'll use it really thick. Mainly because it's just fast and easy. And it's, it's, you know, I've always done this since I was a teenager, so I like that. I like using the finer stuff. It's, I find it's a better covering. And it just keeps a bit of humidity up at the top there where you, where you want it. But, yeah, very happy with how things are germinating. It's going really fast and ideally. And happy to have a bit more space in here. So that's it for today. Just wanted to give you an update with the little changes going on. I've been busy in the background just compiling a lot of orders. I'm going to the UK to see my mother who's not feeling so well, and I'm also picking up a bunch of stuff for the farm. So Nicholas and Carla are back this year, and they're arriving in about a week and a half. And then it's another couple of weeks until our apprentices come. So I'll make a video soon about the team we've got coming this year. I'm really excited. A much different year, much smaller team, and looking forward to some really nice productions. Thanks, as always, for watching. If you haven't read our book, Making Small Farms Work, find it in the links below. It's a place you can find out a lot more about what we're doing. It's a technical manual of how to do this kind of stuff. On a shoestring budget, you know, starting from an abandoned farm, turning it into a thriving, diverse, profitable, regenerative agriculture. Click subscribe, share the videos, and we'll see you in the next video. Hey, everybody. Joe Lample here, and I just wanted to show you how I start my seeds. This time... Last week, I was in this very kitchen sowing dozens of varieties of tomatoes and peppers. And a week later, literally exactly a week later, I've got lots of seed trays like this that are looking great. These are tomatoes right here. Um, but I'll show you the other ones downstairs when I take these down under the lights. But this is just exactly one week. And so a lot of you have been asking about the process that I use to start my seeds successfully. It's very easy. You only need a few things, and it's not expensive. So I thought I would just take this Saturday afternoon because I have more seeds to sow and show you the process. It'll be kind of raw. It's just me showing you through the iPhone how to do it, but it ought to give you a good idea of how to replicate exactly the same process and get good results too, okay? So here we go. Let's start with showing you the things that I need to put this all together and make it work. Okay, so this is pretty much everything, and I only have this bag on the table to show you what I use. Now, this is a commercial grade seed starting mix. This is pro mix, but there are others that are just like it. Basically, let me show you what's in this bag. And by the way, it's 2.8 cubic feet. So it's a pretty good sized bag. I'd say that's at least four feet tall. And you can get a lot of seed trays filled out of this. But I love this stuff uh, a lot better than what you just buy at the box stores. But this is uh, basically peat moss, uh, commercial grade or horticultural grade, vermiculite. It's got some... Um, pine shavings in here, or ground up bark, I should say, and then a little bit of a wetting agent and some lime to bring the pH up to neutral. Uh, and that's it, but it's just really nice to work with, and the plants respond obviously very well. And then, you know, a scoop just to get it into the tray, which is this right here. Now, 
I like to use these four inch deep pots that I'll fill up with the potting mix or the seed starting mix correctly. And then um, a tray underneath a, a solid tray that doesn't have holes in it because once I add the water and wet the, wet the soil, then I bottom feed the water. So the water is basically being taken up through the holes in the trays so I'm not wetting the top after the seeds germinate. I'll explain more about that in a minute. But that's why the bottom tray is solid. So I set an insert into the solid tray and then I'm going to fill it with, this, with the soilless mix and then I'll show you how I disperse the seeds. But the other thing that you should have on hand, of course, besides the seeds, uh, make sure you have your tags right off the bat because if you don't get your uh, seeds tagged right away, you may forget what's what and then you're just going to be sorry that you didn't do that right on the spot. So I've learned the hard way and I make a point of tagging right as I'm adding the seeds. Uh, the other thing I'm going to show you in a second as I do it is this little thing right here. Now, it's just one of those measuring cups that you get, a small one that has the tablespoons and the ounces in it. But I found that if I put my seeds into this, it's easy to see the seeds and then I'll disperse, it, disperse them into these holes. And it's really easy to do that. And you'll get a better sense of that when I do it and show you what I'm doing. Um, and then this green thing right here just holds the overflow or the excess soil that may spill out or when I overhead water initially to wet the seeds. Uh, obviously, it's nice to have something to be sure you're not spilling over. And yes, I do this in my kitchen. It just seems to work because I have access to water right there and have a nice big area to work in. And then I clean up afterwards. So that's the basics of the tools that I need to do everything other than get them down under the lights. And that'll be the last thing I show you today. So let's get some seeds planted. Okay, so once you have everything in place, the first thing I like to do is add the soilless mix into the liner. So that's what this great big scoop is for. You can use really anything, but I just like this. And you're just getting it in there to fill it up right to the top because it will settle. See how loose this is? Just nice and fluffy. And this pro-grade material that you can get at a greenhouse supply store, you don't have to be a commercial business as far as I know, but you can look them up online. Griffin Greenhouse Supply is the place that I use. I think they've got locations all over the country if you wanted to check it out. But it's inexpensive when you need to start a lot of seeds and you need a good bulk amount of soil in a bag. That bag was about $16, I think, and it makes a lot of trades. Um, okay, so that's right up to the top of that soilless mix. And um, really now the next step is to spread the seed. So let me show you how I do that and where that little measuring cup comes in handy. Okay, so I've made, I've made my tags already. I'll show you those. So important to make your tags. Uh, and to put the date on it, and I also put a code for the company of the uh, where the seeds came from. So in case there's a problem or great success or something, I'll just be able to link that back to the company, uh, just for reference purposes. But uh, by the way, there's really good information on that seed pack. You should read that if you've never done this before. It gives you a good indication of how deep to sow the seeds. Tomatoes go right on the surface, pretty much. I'll show you that as we do it. But what I want to show you right now, I pour all the seeds into this little cup. 
okay? And they're in there. You can barely see them. But what's nice about this, and there's supposed to be about 30 seeds in here. And what I'm going to do is put about 16 seeds in each of these four-inch compartments. And later, as the seedlings get bigger, I'll divide them up. But what you need to know now is that this is a really efficient way to get a lot of seedlings in a small space. So with 30 seeds or so in there, I put about up to 16 seeds in each four-inch square. So I'll use two of these squares, and I'll use up all of these seeds. So I'll be able to tap the seeds out, just work them to the edge, and then I'll be able to lightly get them where I want them to go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Okay, so that's not precise, but that gets you really close. And I'll do the same thing again here. And I'll use up that whole pack within these two four-inch square cell compartments. And that'll get me, you know, roughly 15, 16 plants per four-inch container that I'll divide later. And usually when they say like 30 seeds or whatever the count is on the packet, more often than not, you're getting more than that. It's usually the minimum that you're getting when they have that number there. In this case, I know I've already done about 16 and I have another eight left. Uh, but rather than start another four-inch cell, I'll just go ahead and find some room, add these remaining seeds. Okay, so those are done, and it wouldn't hurt to put those tags in here right now, so I don't forget what I've done. And then I'm just going to work my way across. I have several other varieties that I'm going to put into here, and that's the beauty of this, but you can get a lot of different varieties in one tray, and this alone is over 30 plants in just these two. So that's the idea of kind of a semi-dense planting technique using these four-inch compartments. So I'll go ahead and finish this out, and then we'll take it to the next step. Okay, so the seeds are completely sown right at the surface level. And now all I want to do is lightly cover the seeds with a little more of the soilless seed starting mix. And when you look on the packet and it says, sow your seeds one quarter inch or one sixteenth inch deep, I mean, how do you do that really? Well, you do this. You just put them on the surface, and then you just go over the top of it lightly. In fact, what I do is I'll take this sift, this uh, scoop, and then I'll just let some of it sift out through my fingers until I can't see the seeds anymore, and that is good enough. And the only reason you really do this is just to keep some moisture at the above the seed so it doesn't dry out while it's waiting to germinate. That's really all this is for. Now, one optional step I could do here is lightly tamp it down. 
I don't really want to pack these seeds in at all. But it doesn't hurt to just make sure that the seeds have good contact with the soil above and below. So I'm just ever so lightly evening this out. And the last thing I'm going to do before I put the dome on this and take it downstairs under the lights is make sure this is nice and watered in. And I'll show you that step next. Okay, it's ready for the water. Now, the most important thing at this point, I'd like to use warm water, just a personal preference, so I wait for it to get warm, and then I put it on the, uh, the shower option, which I'm about to do. But before I do, I just wanted to tell you that this is really important to make sure there's enough water saturating the soil, because the dome goes on after this and it doesn't get watered again until they germinate, and you don't want those seeds to dry out before that happens, because then, you know, you may lose those seeds for good. So. You'll know when this gets nice and heavy, it'll feel saturated, and that's what you're after. And it's okay if there's some water in the bottom, because that's really how it's going to continue to absorb more moisture to keep the seeds wet to begin with. So I like to have some water in the bottom, uh, and that's when you know you've got enough. So I'll put this on the shower option now and just really go at it. And the other thing about commercial seed starting mix, because it has a wetting agent in it, the water really gets in there. Unlike some of those products that you buy at the box stores that... Um, or just the seed starting mix, they don't have the wetting agent in it, and it doesn't seem like the water ever gets into that soil. It's very frustrating. But you, if you've ever done that, you're going to see the difference right here because the water's going to go right in, and I really like that. The other thing is, this is allowing the seeds to really settle in to their new environment, and so the soil gets on top of it, and... Just really gets them off to a good start. So I go back and forth in both directions. I'll check it. That's feeling about right. It's got good weight to it, so I know that it's fairly saturated, but there's no water yet at the bottom. Of course, it needs to drain down into that, but I can even afford to give it a little bit more. And like I said, as that water's draining through here into that tray below, it's going to catch it all and just hold it there and then wick it back up into that soil medium as is needed uh, while these seeds are germinating. And so that's all good. So I've got a plastic cover I'm going to put over this, and I'm going to take it down and put it under lights. The plastic cover is only there to hold the moisture in until these seeds germinate. And as soon as you see germination, you want to remove this plastic cover. But see that condensation cloud forming already? That's a really good sign. And you want that until they germinate. So that shows you and you know for sure there's good moisture in this seed starting chamber. That's a good sign. Okay, so these are the seeds that we just sowed. And you can see that condensation all built up on that dome. And again, you just leave that there until the seeds germinate. And I'm going to put this on my rack with all these other ones. And there's a heat mat underneath here. The heat mat provides supplemental heat, of course, uh, to about 70 degrees ambient temperature. And that's really going to help these seeds germinate, especially when this room is really cool 
in the evening or whatever. Uh, it's not as heated as the rest of the house. And so it's nice to have that extra heat, that bottom heat that's going to help stimulate those seeds to germinate and help their roots to develop too. So you could leave the heat mat on through the whole time that they're at this smaller stage before you bump them up. I usually don't worry about that. My primary focus with the heat mat is to make sure that it helps get those seeds germinated faster. That's the main thing. And it gets the temperature to about 70, maybe 75 degrees soil temperature, and that's perfect for these seeds. So again, leave the dome on until the seeds start to show signs of germinating, and then take it off and just make sure the, uh, the moisture stays adequate in the tray after that. Uh, if you left the dome on too long, you could run the risk of additional damping off. It's a fungal disease that can kill the seedlings. So just eliminate the dome once you see uh, the beginning signs of germination. The other important thing you need to do, see these fans right here? You want to have air movement across the soil surface. Once that dome comes off, you want to keep air moving and that helps cut down the risk of what's called damping off, that fungal disease that could kill the seedlings. But you probably won't have that be an issue if you have really good seed starting mix like what I recommended or just buying a quality product that says seed starting mix. It's going to be sterile. It's not going to have that disease in the soil to begin with typically. Uh, but to play it safe, this is why you do it, do that. Also, the lighting. Now these are LED lights. This happens to be 300 watt lighting. It's 21 inches above the top of the seedlings. And this is my second year doing LED lights. And I've experimented with this and I've had good success since last year in finding the sweet spot. But it's a little bit tricky to figure it out. It depends on the wattage of the LED. But I've got some podcast links that are going to be really helpful to you. And I'll put them in this post. And you ought to listen to those because it's going to walk you through the lighting issues and the other seed starting things to consider. So this was just a really quick tutorial of what I do for my process. It's very successful. And if you want to replicate that, you just learned how to do it. But that podcast, the, there's four episodes that are really going to get you to the level of knowing a lot more than what I talked about today. So I hope you found that helpful, and I hope I remembered to say everything I wanted to say, but this should get you well on your way. So good luck, everybody. Uh, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the channel today, again, with Stephen Cornett at Nature's Always Right. Uh, we're going to show you how he makes his soil mix. So this is something he uses for his transplants, his propagation, his soil blocks. And it's a question that I think a lot of home gardeners get all the time or ask all the time, especially on the comment section on the, on the website. So I figured let's just show you how someone who does this for a living actually makes it. And you can use that recipe at home and it's going to work absolutely wonderfully. So let's go ahead and get to it. Let's do it. All right, guys, so for my, my potting mix, my main potting mix that I'll use um, for, so I'm gonna start my tomatoes, cucumbers, and squash in these 800 milliliter pots. I like these because they um, are pretty deep, they're about five inches deep, you know, three, four inches across. It's a nice uh, middle ground size. I like them better than six cells because you can let the plant get a bit bigger before you toss it in the ground. Um, so for my mix, I do like a pretty standard mix that a lot of people do, which is, so you can just, you just remember one third, one third, one third, or 30%, 30%, 30%. So I'll do 33% compost. This is the compost that I've made from my chickens. And I actually, um, now I use all my own soil that I'm, that I'm creating here on site. So I will take 30% of this. I will use 30% of peat moss. Peat moss is, um, it adds more organic matter. It's very good at absorbing um, water and retaining water. And then I use perlite. Perlite is the other one third. 
perlite. So you'll see this perlite if you ever go to a gardening store, it's in all the potting mix. And what this does, it's um, an expanded rock that they heat up and it pops like popcorn. And it just creates a lot of little pores and water is able to, to run, water and air is able to actually go through this. So it, it allows, you know, aeration to the roots and when you, it prevents overwatering essentially. Okay, so I do 30% of each. Now, how, do, how am I gonna measure that, right? We, we need a really simple, easy way. So if we use ratios, we can do that. So because we know it's one third of each, I just need a bucket of any size. And this is my measuring cup. So if I need one third of each, then I would do one five gallon of perlite, one five gallon of compost, and one five gallon of peat moss. But if you're gonna do a smaller mix, you could use one gallon. Now, if you use the ratio, you just upsize to whatever you're working with. So for my potting mix, that's what I would do. So I'll just add this. How long is it taking you to, to turn a compost pile and get it over here so it's ready to be used? Uh, it takes me about three months. Okay. And, you know, I do a thermophilic composting. So I'm raising all of my compost temperatures to between 140 and 150 for like, I try to do it for four to five days. And if I'm able to, I turn it after a week and then try to raise it back up again to 140. Sometimes you can't quite make it and it goes to 130 but you wanna stay at those higher temperatures for a few days at least to kill weed seeds and pathogens. And then it breaks down quicker. When my pile goes cold, I add red worms. And here's a couple right here. There they are. So I basically turn my compost pile into a worm processing center after that. And they eat the remaining organic matter, they add through their digestive system, they add more beneficial bacteria. Um, they just help to break down whatever's left over. So that's what I like to do once it goes cold and I just use them to do more work for me. Yeah, you throw them in as like the cleanup crew basically. Yeah. yeah. And then when I'm adding my compost anywhere around the yard, there's always a few worms in there. Now I'm inoculating the ground with more worms mm. and then they can kind of proliferate in the ground more. So I highly recommend that. That's why I, that's why worms are such a big part of my system. And I even have a worm bin back there that I can use. Uh, I can mix in worm castings in with this mix as well. It's another thing I could, could do. All right, so we've got our mix. Now, I always strain my compost. Just in case there's some unbroken down stuff, right? Yeah, and I noticed that germination works a lot better when there's not like some random rock or big chunk of stick yeah sometimes it creates an air pocket or something goes on so you'll see how nice it becomes once i strain it and because i made this myself um you know there's some random twigs that got in there from my pecan tree whatever all um commercial guys they all strain their compost so this is just a simple strainer i use a quarter inch i believe it's a quarter inch mesh um hardware cloth so then I'll just use my shovel to kind of mix it. And if you guys want to see a really cool soil strainer, um, if you look at uh, Roebuck Farms, Farm in New Zealand, they have a cool one that actually is like elevated above the ground. It's connected to a chain and they shake it back and forth. And then it dro drops straight down into their bucket. Or, or even less labor, right? Even less labor. Yep. So this is, this is a little bit annoying, but... It, 
it gets the job done. Yeah. You do it by hand. It's a little faster, but then I'm bending over and it hurts my back. So I try to do most of it with a shovel. But I know, you know, it takes a little extra time, but it makes your potting mix so much better. Mm. You'll have better germination. You'll have better growth um, in general. So how much do you think you end up losing to just it being debris? You'll see. In a five gallon. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not too you know, much. Ten, five to ten percent maybe. That's, yeah, that's a but good. But I'm losing mostly, it's like rocks and yeah. big sticks like this. What do you end up doing with that stuff after? So, you know, it's, what I assume is that these are all filled with nutrients. So yeah. then I'll, I'll just dump it under the shrubs or under mm. my trees. Mulch. And it becomes yeah. mulch. Okay. That's it. So we are fully screened now, and you can see the difference is absolutely incredible. Everything is uniform. I mean, you could almost plant straight into this yeah. if you wanted to. Easily. And now we are going to add the peat moss and the perlite. Yep. And you strain that as well? I do, just because some of the per, uh, peat moss, there's like leftover sticks and weird stuff in there. Mm -hmm. So I, I do strain that as well. And do you strain the perlite? Um, no, I don't train as the perlite, but if I had some, like, a larger chunk perlite, it'd be a way to break it up more. Okay. But I try to get the medium to fine perlite because that works better for germination. And is it, it's yeah. more expensive the smaller you go, right? Yes, I believe it is. Like, this bag right here was 15 bucks. And that's what, 50? It's a, um, four... Four cubic somethings. Four cubic feet. feet. Yeah. Four cubic feet. That's not that's not a bad price. That's a good price. Yeah. I mean, even if you're a home gardener, you could buy that size and use it over that's the course nice. of a few years. Yeah, and that's fifteen dollars yeah. instead of going to the store and buying a one liter of it for ten yeah. bucks or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's Buy in bulk. Yep. Yep. All right. So we're doing. What's the uh, peat moss brand that you buy? Sunshine. Okay. Sunshine. They also make um, different potting mixes as well. Yep. I think Curtis Stone uses like number three or something. I, I think he, yeah, I think he uses it for his microgreens. For his micro, yeah. yeah. And he, he'll screen that mix as well. Then he, yeah, then he screens it. Yeah. I guess for the peat moss, it also makes sense to screen because there's sort of yeah, moisture great. chunks in there too that you can't yes, break up, right? That's a great, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes like when you're making your mix, they just, they just don't break down unless you like physically... Yeah do that to them right so, so you might as well do it in bulk on a screen right so here we go this should be a, a lot faster too because it's all uniform yeah. or uniform enough so when you're making a full batch yeah. of this stuff how much are you actually making full wheelbarrow full um normally i just do the this five gallon batch like this because okay I have to mix it, and when I mix it, um, I don't want the stuff to spill out the sides. Oh, right, sure. So you'll see, once I add it all, it's, it's quite a bit. And that's enough, how, so it be 15 gallons of material, right? Yeah, and then, so with that much, I made, like, all of these pots. I just propagated a bunch of cuttings mm -hmm. with one wheelbarrow. Yeah. That's decent. So at this scale, at this farm size scale, that's this is okay. pretty much all you need, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, in the future, it's something I've... I probably would like to, to upgrade, but there's more important things right now to take care of. Yeah, totally. 
And all of this should go through. There shouldn't be any too much left over. Yeah, there won't be much. And whatever's left over is like perfect mulch. Yep. Because it's, it's basically ch wood chips, right? It's just little wood chips. Yeah. yeah beautiful mulch. I'll throw those over on the grapes, probably. Alright, that's, all right. that's yeah. all that's left. Not that much. But About these two handfuls. are annoying, so. Yeah, because those those would take up an entire cell. They'd go across an entire cell, planting right. cell, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally mess things up. Yeah. So I don't want that. Alright, dump this baby. Last major ingredient is the perlite going in. Probably the easiest one to do. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. dust storm, dust storm. Yeah, don't ah. breathe. You don't want to breathe this dust. Guys, I'm dying for the cause right now. I'm getting caught in the storm. <laughs> All right, let's take let's take a quick walk. Ooh. Should have warned you. About that. <laughs> All, All right. right. So, hazard, hazard on the farm. All right, here we go. Here we go. So now we got one third. <laughs> so you can use this mix for even a, even soil blocks. I find it works well for soil blocks though. I usually um, for soil blocks I'll usually do like half half a thing of, of perlite uh, just because I find that it makes the blocks a little bit better. They hold together better. Got it. If there's too much of these in there. There's not as much like glue to hold. Yeah, it'll start breaking apart, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I like to mix it with a uh, I wanted to say broad pitchfork. And I do that because it all falls through. Mm. So I'll do my first mix like this. So it just make, all you need to do is lift up. It mixes yeah. itself. Yeah, I just give it a little shake. The thing I like about the way you farm is the way you approach labor. I mean, even something as small as this, you've thought yeah. about how to minimize your own effort. Yeah. You know, most people are going to be like digging in and turning it with their own their muscular effort, and you're just sort of picking it up. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah, I'm always trying to think of new ways of making things easier for myself, and all you know, all my different mentors and teachers. Our books I've read, you know, it just, it's about minimizing your weight. Yeah, want, especially wanna, if you want to do this for a lifetime. Yeah, I, I want my body to be good. I want to have, you know, it's like having good posture when you're working is important. Yep. So, and then um, I mix, do the initial mix with that. I come in with a straight edge at the end because a lot of the, the compost or the perlite will get, kind of get stuck at the bottom. It doesn't mix. Okay. So, you'll see when I go under, when I turn this over. Yeah. There's some of it, like, this wasn't mixed in well. Yep. So, I just like to scrape it a few times. All this is not mixed. Right. So I'll scrape it from both sides, and then it's basically done. And then we've got one special ingredient to add. The final ingredient. Yep. Oh, that's looking just beautiful, too. The texture yeah. is amazing. That, and that's where the straining comes in. It just makes this beautiful, soft, luscious. Yeah, let's take a look quick. Uh, I mean, look at this. Let me focus in. That's better than what you're going to buy at a store for sure. hundred percent. And this soil is alive. Yep. And we're about to supercharge it. Let's supercharge it. So get ready. Okay, guys. So I'm, what I'm starting with this mix is tomatoes, cucumbers, and squash for the summer. And all three of those are any fruiting summer crop, essentially, they need lots of minerals. And they, they suffer greatly from mineral deficiency. So it's my belief that when you provide uh, the micronutrients from seed all the way through the plant's life, it's gonna have better pest resistance, better disease resistance. Um, you're not gonna get problems like blossom end rot, 
magnesium deficiencies, other things that are just detrimental and it'll just ruin your season. Um, so I want to have the best health of my plant from seed to harvest. So I'm just going to use a little bit of azomite. And azomite, I use the powderized form because it's the most bioavailable. And it's from a volcanic ash deposit. Um, it's just mined and um, it's got like almost 80 different trace minerals. It's awesome stuff. Um, I, I really like it. So I just run that through my strainer. This is, that was about a half a cup. A little bit goes a long way with this stuff. I bought a 50 pound bag of it like a year and a half ago. I'm still using it on yeah. this scale. So That'll last you forever. Forever. Yeah. So, um, so then I just push it through because there's always these chunks. Kind of the same idea as the, as the peat moss. Break up those chunks. Yep. Done. Done with the strainer. Okay, then I'm going to add a little bit of, this is kelp meal. And kelp is another incredible micronutrient source. And this, this is a fertilizer. It's actually 102, which is kind of interesting. So it does have some nitrogen and some phosphorus, right? Mm -hmm. That's the last number? Yeah. I always forget. I always confuse those two as well. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> And um, so anyway, with this, this stuff goes a long, long way. So I just use like a small handful. Just a light sprinkle. Just a light sprinkle. And then, you know, every little seedling's gonna have like a few pieces of it in there. So the other thing I want you guys to think about is potting soil is also like an inoculant. So I want this to be packed with bacteria, mm. uh, mycorrhizae, and all of that stuff. And oh, the, the soil life likes to feed on stuff like kelp it likes to feed on stuff like azomite. And so I'm gonna add one more ingredient to my mix. Making my mix is a little hard to do in this wheelbarrow because I have to bend over and put my pots in. I'm gonna kill my back. So I'm gonna put in a tote first. Easy. Okay. And then now I can lift it up to my table where I'm gonna make my mix. And you know, I'm kind of crowded right now. So, we'll set it. we're gonna supercharge it with some worm tea that I've made over the last couple of days. This stuff's been brewing like 72 hours, which is kind of the max that a lot of people do. Usually 24 to 48 is what most people do. And explain explain why it's uh, bubbling and brewing. Oh sure. So worm tea it's an aerobic process, which means um, we're trying to grow bacteria that lives off of oxygen. So by aerating it, we're keeping alive all the beneficial bacteria. And so this is my tea bag. And inside of the tea bag is half worm compost, worm castings, and half of my compost I made from my chicken manure. And you add some sugar and molasses, mm -hmm. um, and that feeds bacteria and fungi. I even put azomite and um, some kelp in here as well because fungal growth likes it, and so does bacteria growth. Right. And... And now there's minerals that are water soluble in here. So what I can do is take this and actually spray it on the leaves of my plant. And that's called foliar feeding. So the leaves of your plant can actually absorb nutrients through their leaves. Mm -hmm. um, spraying this can help prevent pests, disease. It can be used to, as, as a natural pesticide, I can use it to spray off aphids. Um, kill two birds with one stone. Spray the aphids off, get a little foliar feeding going on. Yeah. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing very very cheap and inexpensive but massive benefits cool so we're gonna supercharge my compost my soil mix with it 
So if you're doing 15 gallons in a mix, you're just getting what, like a gallon or two right there? Yeah, just something a, like that. Just a small amount just to add it in. I just want to supercharge my soil with uh, micronutrients and soil life bacteria. Got it. Fungal, All right, let's growth. do it. Add it in. And I always add a little bit of water to my potting mix before I even uh, start putting it in pots, just so that um, when I add water to the pots, I don't have to sit here forever and let it water drain. I just water it once and I walk away. Mm. So having a little bit of moisture in here is nice. Usually, so this is this is adding the soil biology with the uh, bacteria and fungus, but also moisturizing the soil so you don't have to do as much work, right? Yes, exactly. So my compost was already pretty wet, so that's pretty good. We don't have to get too crazy. All right, everybody, that's it. We're finished. Simple, now, easy, inexpensive. Inexpensive. Right. And this is the best soil you could ever get. You can't buy something that's good in the store. No, let's, awesome. let's take a look. I mean, look at this stuff. That is incredible. That's better by leaps and bounds than what you're going to buy at a garden store. And even if you could find something of similar quality, how much would it cost? It would cost a lot. And, it, you know, it's been sitting in a warehouse for, for months. It's been getting hit by the sun, yep. drying it out. Your soil, your life in the soil is dying. Yep. This has been alive the whole time. So now I just add it to a pot, throw a seed in there, and I've got tomatoes. Easy. All right, guys. I hope that was informative. If you like the channel, or if you like the video, subscribe to Steven's channel. It's Nature's Always Right. Link's going to be in the description below. Subscribe to this channel. We've got a lot more coming from Steven and from me as well. So stay tuned. Good luck in the garden. Keep growing. See you guys later. The real advantage of the soil block maker is that as a resource, you only have to buy once. Now these two here would probably cost you $50 together, which isn't a bad investment considering that you would easily spend that much on throwaway pots over a couple of years of gardening. With these, there's nothing to throw away. If you get really interested and want to expand your line, this one, ah, now we're talking super soil blocks, turns out a block with a square hole in the top into which the two inch block fits. And now you have the full spectrum. But for many people, the combination of the three of these may be more than they want to invest. Can you make a soil block maker at home? You sure can. Let me show you how. I cut down a quart freezer container, about a third of its height. I found a nice fat short bolt, drilled a hole in the bottom, put the bolt through, found a washer that would go over it, and then a nut for the bottom. I did that because I wanted to make it deep enough so I could put one of those mini blocks in there. Now, with this one, you don't push it down in. You would take the putting mix and push it into it like that because this has no plunger and you have to leave some space for the mix to fall out. These don't always work perfectly, but they're the cheapest and simplest, and you can use the top as a plate to make it on. You put it down here, you give a bang on the, on the top, maybe or two, shake it, and you have a reasonably nice soil block. Again, with a hole in the top for a big seed or one of those mini block makers. While Elliot's busy making us some soil blocks, I'm going to get ready to plant them. I have some clary sage seeds here. The Latin name is Salvia viridis. And I think I've got about five weeks before these will be ready to go into the garden. You want to know how long ahead to start the seed. Each one is different. Often the seed packet will tell you. If not, you might want to do a little research. 
Some seeds can be sown directly in the garden. This one probably could, but I have a very short growing season, so I start quite a few of mine ahead. But before I even think about planting, I'm going to do one important thing, and that's make a label. Salvia viridis. And I'm going to put today's date on the stick. That way, if I get interrupted, I won't forget what it is I'm planting, and there's I'll know what's going to come up. Okay, now there's a number of ways to put the little seeds into these blocks. If it were fairly large seeds, I could probably pick them up individually and put them in. Another way to do it, if you're very careful, is to crease the packet and tap them one by one. But probably the simplest way, what we do most often, is to sharpen the end of a paintbrush or a wooden dowel, put the seeds on a white plate so you can see them easily, pick them up with a moistened stick, and one by one, pick them up and drop them into the little depression that the soil block maker makes in the block. The magic thing about the soil block system is that it's completely modular. I can take this little tomato seed and put it in the block and 10 days to two weeks later, it looks like that. Take that one, pot it on to the next size block, and 10 days to two weeks later, it looks like this. Take that plant and stick it either in a large block or in a pot like this, and a few weeks after that, you have as nice a tomato plant as anyone would ever want to grow. So how long ago did you plant that tomato seed? That Just six plant? weeks. Amazing. Yeah. Give it enough room to grow and it'll grow. Now I've got my little flat all finished, so I've put the label in. And now I have to think about where to put this to have it germinate. Every seed is different and it helps to know whether it likes cool or warm temperatures for germination. If it likes a very cool temperature, say 65 degrees, I'll put it in a corner of my office where it's just about that. If it likes warm temperatures, 75, 80, even more, I'll stick it up on the top of the kitchen cabinet near the ceiling where it's always really warm. But most seeds like an average of about 70 degrees, and so I'll keep it on the kitchen counter or whatever place is handy at room temperature until it germinates. And to get it to germinate, the real key is to have the moisture correct. And so Barbara and I put our little flats into a container like this, which has a fluted bottom, and into which we can pour some water just up to the flutes. You don't want to flood the seeds because then they won't germinate well, but we want to make sure there's a constant moisture supply. If we think they're a little dry, I'll take this spritzer occasionally and add some more moisture. Now, there's a cover that goes over this container. And that is what keeps the atmosphere in there perfectly moist while it's germinating. Now you notice we didn't cover the seeds, and you don't need to in a perfectly moist atmosphere, except for those few seeds that say on the back of the packet that they want to germinate in the dark. And if that were the case, I would have laid a little piece of black plastic down there before I put the cover on. Put the cover on, keep it moist, put it in a warm spot, and everything works perfectly. But keep your eye on them because the minute they start to germinate, you want to take the cover off and put them in a warm, sunny window. Sun, not with the cover on, because then the heat in there is gonna to become too intense because this is like a little closed greenhouse with no vents. Cover off in a sunny window the minute they germinate and you're off and running. And you really do have to keep checking them about twice a day. When we put them on top of the kitchen cabinet, we have to remind each other constantly. The other thing I do as soon as they germinate is to get out my little list. I, this is one area where I really do keep records because I love to know 
when, how long it took for each seed to germinate. It not only helps me next year to know how far ahead I have to do things, but if I want to have two plants sharing a flat, if they both germinate at about the same time, then I can move the whole plant to the right place at the right time for both those plants. Gardening Naturally will return on TLC. And here's a flat of all germinated and ready to go. Okay, those are the salvia viridis that I started eight days ago. So there they are, and they are definitely ready to be moved on to bigger soil blocks. Now I'll take this little tool, which is simply a, an artist palette knife that you can get at any artist supply store, and I'll cut out a little block, lift it up. Now it may have a tap root. One of the advantages of using soil blocks is that plants that don't like being disturbed when they're transplanted because one reason or another, usually because they have a taproot, they do a lot better in a soil block than with another kind of transplanting system. And here's living proof. Oh, the proof is in the plant. Because here are some that were planted about five weeks ago, taproots and all. And they don't seem to have suffered one bit. No, they look lovely. And one thing I mentioned earlier, the idea that in a soil block you get air pruning of the roots because the roots grow to the edge of the block. And instead of circling around as they do in a container, fill in the block and wait there to be transplanted in the soil. This is a perfect example of the advantage of soil blocks for almost all types of seedlings. These are ready to go into the garden. I think they are. Let's put them in. Yeah. this episode and want to hear more like it you can do three simple things right now one you can subscribe to permaculture freedom podcast if you haven't yet number two you can leave a short review for us on itunes and third share this episode with a person in your life you think would enjoy it too thank you i really appreciate your support until next time take care my friend